Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson, 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 ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson skulle jag så bra som mig. Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores! Carlson. Yeah. Carlson. Yes. Welcome everybody to the Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by a guy who's super stoked to be able to say that we're over the halfway point of beat writers interviewed for our 32 beat series. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and psych, just kidding. I'm not your host today because, of course, we had to bring on Rangers super fan Ben Burnett to interview Arthur Staple all about the New York Rangers. We've got a really fun interview coming to you in just a moment. First, of course, let me mention that Keeping Carlson very proudly presented by DopperHockey.com. The guide is out. The projections are out. You know you got to check it out if you want to be successful in fantasy. So check it out, DopperHockey.com. Also, I highly recommend you check out my interview we dropped a few days ago with Arpon Basu about the Montreal Canadiens. I, I love talking talking to Arpon. I wish I could just get him all the time. I, I had a friend who told me that he reads all of Arpon's articles, and yet he still learned some new things from that interview. So yeah, the Habs are a really interesting team going into next year. I especially was intrigued by his explanation of why they picked Slavkovsky. Uh, I, it, it was something I hadn't considered before, and I think it made a lot of sense. Anyways, check that out. Uh, you just have to be subscribed to Keeping Carlson on wherever you get your podcasts, right? Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google. You know, I use Pocket Casts, actually. I like it. Yeah, you want to get those podcasts just downloading automatically so you won't miss anything. Uh, if you want to come hang out with Brian and I, we've still got a month left of our summer promotion. So come join our Discord at uh, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. You become a patron, you get in the Discord. We're doing mock drafts. We're still doing our rankings. We're starting to drop some Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League rule changes. We've been having a lot of fun discussion and debate there. Uh, so yeah, come join the fun and then also stick around for the season. Join our Ultimate League and Brian and I will be dropping an episode about that in the near future. But uh, yeah, that's keepingcarlson.com slash patron if you want to give us some support. I guess you could also give us a five-star review on iTunes. This is as I'm here asking for things, then I might as well just put it all out there. Yeah, we definitely wouldn't complain uh, if you could be so kind as to give us a, a review, help other people find the show. But okay, with that, I'm done with my intro. It's time for you to sit back and enjoy Ben's interview with Arthur Staple about the New York Rangers. Welcome back to Keeping Carlson. The Beat Writer interview series continues tonight. I am your host, Ben Burnett, and joining me uh, for the first time to talk about this NHL franchise, Arthur Staple, New York Rangers reporter for The Athletic. Arthur, how are you doing tonight? This fine, uh, what day is it again? Wednesday, <laughs> Tuesday, it's Tuesday evening. Something like that. Uh, I'm good, Ben. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm doing. You know what? I I'm sure you could guess just based on the fact I forgot what day it was. It is my other. I'm off from my day job this week, so I'm uh, I'm in vacation brain. Otherwise, but ready to talk hockey. That's for sure. That sounds good. Excellent. And so, Arthur, um, this is a team that you uh, the Rangers are a team. I remember you from following uh, the Islanders in past seasons. Were you on the uh, Cup run? Uh, or the, I guess the third round run for the Rangers this past season. I was, I was, I'm, I'm on a, a personal three Eastern conference final season streak right now. So I'm, I'm open to the highest bidder for whatever team <laughs> wants me to cover them. That's going to break out next season. I, uh, as a Rangers fan, I've decided I am going to cut that from the audio. So nobody hears that piece. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, that's uh, I hope that we can make it four years for you next year, but, uh, that must've been a really, I mean, it must've been a very different experience covering this Rangers team going to round three than the previous two Islanders teams, or I don't know, what was your experience like? You know, it's been, uh, the coverage part has been a little funky, obviously all three of these years right. with COVID restrictions, mm -hmm. um, you know, jumping on the Rangers, uh, in November, not really getting a chance to kind of, you know, be in a locker room and get to know people. I knew a little bit about the Rangers and I, I think I covered Chris Drury as a player way back when, uh, right. during his, his less than successful Rangers tenure. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, so, you know, people through over the years, I, I think I remember even talking to Gerard Gallant a fair bit, uh, when he was an assistant with the Islanders way back when. So, um, 
you know, that part makes it a little bit easier to make that transition, but doing everything in a press conference setting, is definitely difficult. And, um, you want to be able to talk to people one-on-one and kind of get to know them a little bit. And, um, hopefully that's going to happen next season. And, uh, I feel like even in the, even in the press conference setting, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting insight to be gleaned from this Rangers team. They're, they're definitely, uh, between the mix of, of veterans who have some interesting backstories and a lot of the young guys who, uh, are kind of just getting started. It's, uh, it's a unique group. And, uh, you know, we had, we had translators, we've had right. guys speaking in halting English, um, you know, showing some of their personality a little bit, but overall the locker room is just an, an easier place to get to know guys and, and mm-hmm. for me to feel comfortable. And, uh, it's been a while since we've been in one. So, um, I think that'll part, will be good, but I think just, you know, jumping in mid season with a team that hadn't had any success, that was really riding as high as the Rangers were all season long. And I think, uh, it, it's kind of easy to forget, um, you know, for, I think for some people from the outside, I was so focused on the Islanders. I knew plenty of what was going on with the Rangers, but the letter and all of the veteran players being moved out a few years ago for prospects and seeing all those prospects kind of cycle in and, and winning the, the Artemi Panarin free agency sweepstakes mm-hmm. over the Islanders among others. And, um, and just seeing them put it all together really uh, was definitely interesting. I kind of, I guess I got lucky. I got to skip the bad stuff and go right to the good <laughs> stuff. So uh, definitely not my experience in a decade covering the Islanders, but uh, we'll see where it goes with the Rangers next season. Well, and the Rangers are an interesting, have an interesting team composition, I feel like, in terms of a team to make it to the third round, where it's like they're like the excitement for most fans, I think, heading into the season is just knowing that or or rather as they were making their way through the playoffs this year was knowing that a lot of these players that were starting to to break out a little bit. Those are guys that are inevitably or I guess hopefully going to continue to build on that. But the core of the team are these guys who are, you know, either approaching or have already hit that 30 year mark that kind of that often since seems to signal a fall off. So I do find like like you said, a very interesting mix in that Rangers locker room. For sure. For sure. And it's, uh, you know, to see a guy like Chris Kreider, who's been around for so long, produced the kind of season that he did, um, you know, winning all kinds of postseason awards for them. You've got Panarin it, it, and, and Mika Zibanejad rounding into a true number one center. Right. Um, you know, the Barkley Goodrow trade working out for the most part during the season or, you know, acquisition and then signing working out for the mm-hmm. most part. Um, they just seem to, they just seem to have the right mix. And there were obviously, you look a little bit closer and you can see some frustrations, but it, you know, they were doing it a little bit with smoke and mirrors the first couple of months of the season, thanks to Igor Shesterkin. And then Chris Drury played, uh, you know, his cap space hand really well at the deadline and brought in some guys that all made key contributions. Even if it looks like zero of them will be sticking around, uh, beyond this season, but, uh, that's mm-hmm. why they call them rentals. And, um, you know, it really was, uh, it was the kind of run that I think a lot of fans have been, have been clamoring for and very different, I think, than, than, you know, their, their successful runs in the, in the 2012, the 2017 era, just a different kind of team, a, a much more dynamic team. Yes. Um, and I think that kind of amps up the, the excitement for them too, you know, um, you think back to those, you know, the Tortorella and Vino teams, they were, you know, it was, it was three yards in a cloud of dust basically on offense and, uh, and Henrik Lundqvist. And when you're getting the same level of goaltending, maybe even a little bit better goaltending from Igor Shesterkin, at least in the regular season, and then seeing who produced their offense during the playoffs and seeing the kid line, uh, kind of grow the way that it did. And, and uh, you know, Keandre Miller, just the steps that he took from, from being a bit of a liability early in the season to a guy who arguably would be, uh, you know, a number one or number two defenseman on a lot of teams in the NHL, even now at his, at his age. So um, it, it's, uh, it, it's gotta be a heady time to be a Ranger fan. And after having kind of slogged through the last few years uh, to get to this point and, feel like uh you know they obviously fell a little bit short and there were some you know some incomplete parts of their of their team and their game but uh but the parts that can round out uh, a little bit better are, are certainly very promising and and some of the veteran guys that maybe don't need to do quite as much with some of the other younger guys coming through and and feeling kind of like there was no disappointment in what they did uh, in the offseason and i'm sure we'll get to that but they had their holes to fill uh they got filled and 
um, here we are with pretty much the same group, you know, a little bit different guy, same, you know, and Vincent Trocek, same number as uh, the guy he's replacing essentially. And, and a true backup goaltender. And, um, you know, we kind of, the, the Twitter joke is run it back uh, with teams that maybe don't need, to, don't need to, or shouldn't be doing that. I don't, I don't see any reason why the Rangers shouldn't be running it back. And that's pretty much what they're doing. That's true. And, and you mentioned, I guess one of the last things you mentioned here is talking about the, the, uh, the way that the Rangers ended up handling free agency. And the big move is obviously going after, after Vincent Trocek, uh, letting Ryan Strom, who had been uh, Artemi Panarin's partner the past few years and, and played on uh, the top power play, uh, and Andrew Cobb, who played a big part in that uh, playoff run, both walk in free agency. Um, I guess what I'm curious about from your perspective here, Arthur, is why the Rangers opted to... Uh, look for an outside hire when they could have brought back either of the other two fellows for either the same or, or less money. You know, I think it came down to, and and it's, this is simplifying it because obviously there were, there were some negotiations with Ryan Strom in the early part of the season. Uh, and I, and there were talks with Andrew Kopp's representatives, I think not necessarily right after the trade deadline, but probably after the season ended. Um, that never really materialized into the numbers that the Rangers wanted. I think they just saw Vincent Trocek as a more legitimate number two center option, a guy who maybe combines some of the better elements of Cop and Strom into one guy. And, uh, you know, maybe seeing the way that they played, and obviously it's hard to know and look back because Ryan Strom was so compromised with that core muscle injury that that really seemed to slow him down in the playoffs. Um and Cop, I think, you know, had a really good playoff run and obviously a really good run in the regular season. Uh, but is he the kind of guy that can anchor that that number two center spot with Artemi Panarin and whoever else on the other side? I think they just saw Trocek as a guy who's been a very consistent 50 to 60 point guy in his two different stops. And I think the Gerard Gallant connection probably helped there as well. Um, and a guy who's done it without a lot of, uh, a lot of you know, extreme talent. I don't think he's really ever been a consistent number one power play guy. Um, and he's still able to put up the points that he's been able to play up. He's a very good guy in the face-off circles. We know, I think a lot about the Rangers face-off deficiencies, um, kills penalties. Uh, you know, I just think a little bit better rounded player than either of the other two guys. And that doesn't mean that if they had come to a, you know, if, if the Rangers had decided that Ryan Strom was deserving of a five-year deal, um, probably around the same number that he got from Anaheim, uh, if they had agreed on that in December, I don't think anybody would have been terribly upset. And if Andrew Kopp had decided that he would take something in the, you know, four to five-year range, at, at again, around that $5 million number, maybe we don't even get to the point where where the Rangers jump on, uh, jump it quickly and sign Vincent Strocek. But, um, but I think, you know, it reflected perhaps in the in the seven year term that there was going to be some serious competition for Trocek and maybe that some other teams viewed him as a as a as a notch above you know maybe if Strom and Copper are B B plus guys then Trocek's a B plus A minus guy I think in a lot of teams eyes as far as your number two center so um, it's a big hole to fill and it's a it's a big question mark really how well he can mesh with Artemi Panarin and, and obviously the other question mark is who's going to be the guy on the right side because that has certainly been a question for any of the four lines uh, last season so um, but I think just purely looking at the player I think the Rangers felt like Trocek was a guy that that you know hit all the right notes for them whereas Strom maybe some questions about his ability to to be an efficient guy you know, make, making that line a little bit more responsible in a 200 foot sense and cop, maybe can he be the explosive scoring guy over the long haul that he was in that short space of time at the Rangers. So I, I think they feel like sometimes you, you see this in hockey and other sports, the grass is definitely greener. And if they, they saw what Vincent Trocek was able to do in Carolina and what he was able to do earlier in his career in Florida, that um, they feel like plugging him in with with the talented top six and that incredible top power play unit that uh, he could really explode going forward. And I, I agree with you specifically about the Florida team. I mean, the Vincent Trocek before the ankle injury was, was a really a, a dynamic player who I, I would not be as worried about just on that longer term, but I am, I am hopeful that uh, they've made the right choice here. Of course. Um, I, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you about Artemi Panera next. And so 
Uh, let's jump right into that. Uh, led the team in scoring for a third consecutive year, puts up 96 points in 75 games in what I would say some people consider a bit of a down year uh, for Panarin. Um, I guess my my question was going to be whether with Ryan Strom leaving, you figured that Vincent Trocek would be earmarked for that spot, but it sounds like you're already there. You don't you don't buy into the maybe the Philip Heedle taking a step up and, and getting a, a, a longer look in a more predominant role following the playoff success than I, I would imagine. You know, I think Panarin, obviously with Strom and and um, you know, the, the chemistry, like you said, was was really strong and the friendship was strong. And I think, you know, from a from an off ice standpoint, um, I think there's you know, I had I had written uh, a few weeks ago that there was a bit of friction, um, probably from the team side more than from the player side about uh, his play, especially in the playoffs, where I think a lot of people were critical of Panarin for not quite getting to that playoff hockey level that you need to get to um, to be successful. Um, he did score one of the bigger goals in the playoffs with the game seven power play overtime winner to beat the penguins. But, but, uh, but his you know, his consistency was not necessarily there. And it, it, you know, it was maybe a reminder after a few years away from the playoffs that, that there are different levels and there is a different style of play. And, you know, he can still incorporate the way that he plays into what Rangers want to do in the playoffs. But, uh, but there was definitely some discontent, I think from the front office with him, um, there's obviously no, not too many ways out of this uh, marriage that they're in. Um, so trading him certainly doesn't seem like an option. He can choose where he'd want to go. Uh, his cost is enormous. Uh, so, you know, in a, in a fantasy world, if the Rangers re- if they really got to the point where they, they a breakup was inevitable, it'd be hard to even make it happen. And I don't think it's at that point. Um, but I think in the course of the last year, you know, you've seen the Rangers trade his closest friend on the team in Pavel Buchnevich now is one of his other closest friends in Ryan Strom departs and they bring in a, a new player who I'm sure, you know, there's questions whether they will mesh. Well, I think Artemi Panarin has shown he's a talented enough guy to mesh with a lot of different people. Um, so, I'm, you know, I, I think he's not necessarily at a crossroads. This is a guy who um, always projects a very happy-go-lucky appearance um you know it doesn't doesn't mean he's not serious about what he does and clearly he's very good at what he does since he's put up uh, maybe as many points in a three-year span as anybody not named Yarmir Yager in a Ranger jersey in the last 30 or 40 years <laughs> um so that's the, there's no denying what he brings to the table and I think that part even if he's not your ideal playoff performer he's the guy that's going to help you get there and be in a good position when you get there with what he does in the regular season so um, you know, I, I don't think there's a worry about where his head's at. Um, I think, you know, he's, he's moved around plenty. He's seen players come and go. I'm sure he understands what kind of business it is. And even if, if, whether it's Chris Drury or Gerard Gallant, if anybody was frustrated with what he was doing or not doing in the playoffs, it'll be a fresh start in September. And, uh, you know, he'll be motivated to prove that he can still, he's still one of the elite players in the game and, um, you know, be gunning for, team assist record, hundred points again, if he can get there. Um, you know, I'm just curious to see if this team is a, is now a perennial playoff team and a team that can really compete in the East, which I certainly on paper think they can given all the changes for some of the other teams, uh, this off season, can he find that next level? Does he, does he feel too constrained when it comes to playoff time by what Gerard Gallant and Chris Jury want out of this team, which is a very, straight up and down, um, you know, hard edged, all the typical playoff cliches, but, uh, but that's, you know, is that ever going to be what he does now at age 30? Probably not. You know, I think, I think he knows that what he does, he does very well and, uh, he's pretty, he's pretty well respected for what he does. Um, but I am curious to see how that meshes well, you know, if Vitaly Kravtsov, who I'm sure you'll ask about, uh, is on the team. That's another guy who's who Panarin is close with. Um, whether he can be a guy who fits on that right side with those with, with Panarin and be someone that Panarin takes under his wing. Um, so we'll see. You know, I think there's there's a few questions to be asked about Panarin. Um, you know, I think uh, the, the source of the discontent between team and player at the end of the season was maybe more frustration than anything else. I don't know if it goes any deeper than that, but we'll have to see how he feels when he gets to camp and how they feel when he gets to camp and then where we go from there. 
And so, but you are just, uh, you see that as a Vincent Trocek spot heading into camp, eh? There's, there's no real, uh, no competition for, for you based on sort of the, the, an earlier answer there. Um, I can't really see it. You know, I, I, I'm guessing Philip Heedle continues to do what he did for say the first 15 games of the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe there's a chance to switch things around if it's not working that well, but, uh, but I'm not sure that. Heedle and Panarin necessarily are the best fit either. Um, you know, I, I think having someone who has the skill and, you know, to, to react well to Panarin, but also has the ability that Trocek does to dig and win face-offs and do some of the dirty work, um, which Andrew Kopp did, which Strom did, tried to do a little bit. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily Heedle's game, but, but we saw a side of Philip Heedle in the playoffs that I don't think we ever saw before. So maybe there's, there's another gear to get to. I, you know, I think, I had reported and, you know, the Rangers were exploring some trade options, maybe for that number two center spot before they got to free agency. And Heedle's name was definitely one that was out there. And I think the Rangers, if they were trying to get a JT Miller or a Pierre-Luc Dubois or Mark Scheifele, kind of the big three names that could have been available, uh, I think Heedle would have been the main one of the main guys going the other way. So I think that probably tells you whether they feel like he can be right now their number two center. Uh, on a team that's coming off uh, a trip to the conference final. And mm -hmm. the answer I think for now is probably no, but, um, but he's got one more year on his deal and, you know, and then there's obviously the, the cap crunch coming again next summer. Mm -hmm. So uh, it'll be another, another big prove it year for Heedle. Um, and uh, if he can continue on what he did in the playoffs, then it, it bodes well for him and bodes well for what the Rangers might want out of him. Absolutely. Uh, when it comes to the the next two fellas, and you mentioned them a little bit earlier on the show, but the Rangers' second and third highest scorers last year, uh, Mika Zibanejad and Chris Kreider, uh, a great year for both in the regular season and in the playoffs. Honestly, Mika topped 80 points for the first time this year, and his new eight-year deal kicks in this coming season. Uh, Kreider topped 30 goals for the first time in his career, but, you know, continued from there and decided he'd also top 50. Why not hit 52 on the season actually scored 35 power play goals. Uh, my favorite stat I dug up this late in the season was that Chris Kreider uh, has more power play goals in the season than Alex Ovechkin ever hit in his career to this point. So, uh, you know, maybe he's the best goal scorer of the generation on the power play. Who knows? Uh, no comment from me. Um, I want to bring these two up together, though, because Zabanajad's overall numbers look very good, but there's a maybe concerning trend uh, looking at his shot rates. Both of they've dropped each of the last two years. And I suspect a big part of that is that Kreider's rate jumped by more than a shot per game. He's now up to three shots per game in 2022. Uh, do you think the Rangers found something that'll continue to work with Kreider's goal scoring renaissance? And does it have the potential to maybe hurt Mika's goal output? Like we saw Mika as a 40 goal scorer in 57 games a few years ago, but I don't think he shot nearly enough to, to sort of hit that pace again uh, in 2022. Yeah, you know, I think the way that they their relationship, which is obviously a very close one, um, seems to evolve. I think I think one, you know, they they work off each other so well. I don't I don't know if Zabanage had felt like he needed to be such a volume shooter because almost everything that Kreider touched went in. So, um, you know, I think when you get to the playoffs and Kreider was a little bit more hit or miss, uh, you know, kind of in that. The last couple of games, of the Pittsburgh series, the last couple of games, of the Carolina series, I think you saw when Mika Zibanejad wants to, wants to make sure he gets a shot on net, uh, he's going to get it on net. And especially, you know, kind of, uh, you mentioned Ovechkin. It's funny how Kreider is the one that's mentioned with Ovechkin just because of the number of power play goals, but, but Zibanejad is the closest thing the Rangers have to an Ovechkin with his, with his lethal one-timer from the, from the off-wing circle, um, you know, it's another another thing that uh, that COVID and the protocols have done is the inability to kind of go and ask opposing goalies uh, about the you know the differences between their the approach of Zibanejad and the approach of Ovechkin. Everybody knows what's coming from Ovechkin. I think the Rangers have so many power play weapons on that on that PP one that uh, that Zibanejad definitely benefited from it, and I think he understands. He's a very very cerebral player, and I think he understands when he's needed to distribute and when he's needed to shoot. Um, and he's really, you know, 
I think maybe the shots also go down as your responsibility goes up as a number one center where you're taking 20 to 30 faceoffs a night. And, you know, Trocek, I think will definitely help with that. But, uh, but really, you know, if, if Heedle is your number three center and, and say Ryan Carpenter or Barkley Goodrow are your number four center, you don't really have a lot of big faceoff guys in there. So it's going to be Zibanejad and it's going to be Trocek. And Zibanejad is doing a lot more penalty killing than he's done in years past. And, uh, you know, I think when you take that mantle on of being a number one center, um, it can, it can wear a little heavy. And I think you need to maybe pace yourself physically a little bit to not overtax, uh, you know, overtax yourself in, in different situations. Um, you know, and I, and I think a lot will depend on who gets the first crack at that right wing spot with those two guys. You know, I don't think we're going to see another 52 goal season from Chris Kreider be great. I think for the Rangers and their offense, <laughs> if we did, but let's say he goes back to being a 30 goal guy. Um, you know, I don't doubt that Mika Zibanejad will, will be aware of, what's working and what's not for Kreider and what's working and what's not for their line, whether it's Alexi Lafreniere, whether it's Capococco, whether it's, you know, player to be determined who plays on that wing, who's maybe more of a shooter uh, than the distributor. You know, if it's Lafreniere, I think Lafreniere turned into a decent goal scorer last season, but I think his, his instincts are to be a playmaker. And, uh, you know, I wonder what that, Maybe Lafreniere coming off a full season. I know he started there last year and didn't last too long, but uh, if he's got a little bit more experience and a little bit more awareness, whether that could turn Zibanejad back into more of a 40-goal guy, um, especially with some more five-on-five production that that really all seemed to funnel through Kreider through when it was working for that top line. It's funny. uh, I think you basically... My next few words on my my prep sheet were just Kreider seems like an obvious regression candidate. Um, <laughs> I mean, is is something that everyone is probably thinking heading into next season. But that was a conversation that came up a lot on Keeping Carlson uh, this past year, talking about what uh, Brian, one of the co-hosts, just kept on feeling as though Kreider was bound to fall off. And it kind of became one of those stories where like, like he's not cooling off. It's not, it's not going to happen probably at this point in the year. I guess what I'm wondering is whether the follow-up question I have was just about Zabanajad's ceiling in the, in this, um, in this uh, role and in this relationship that he has with, with Kreider, I guess what you're saying is how you, it, it depends on the the right side. We've talked about Kravtsov. We've talked about Lafreniere who do you see, how do you see this shaking out this top six heading into, you know, if you, if you had to use your crystal ball and, and look ahead to training camp, what are you expecting to see uh, when, when things break in a, in a few weeks here? You know, I, I just go by what I know of the coach uh, who's a guy who, um, you know, tends to go with what he's seen work before. I don't think he's a big experimentation guy unless he has to be. Um so that kind of basing it off that, I imagine that you might see Capo Caco on that top line. He had a little bit of a run there, uh, you know, last season where he you know did some good things. He was driving the net well. I think the way that he played around the net, especially behind the net in the playoffs, uh, that was kind of a kind of a sneaky good thing to see that he was a guy who was able to work behind the net, use the net to kind of shield himself. He was, and you know, and shield and use his body to kind of shield the puck and look for guys. Obviously when you're playing in that line, Chris Kreider, you know where he's going to be in the front of the net or in the vicinity. And Zibanejad is usually prowling around looking for, looking for pucks, you know, uh, around the hash marks. So um, I wonder if that's going to be the first option for them. Uh, you know, and, and obviously Kravtsov is a bit of a, a question mark, I think is maybe the mildest way to put it, but it certainly seems like because of cap situation, skill level, um, that the, 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 uh, disagreements, shall we say, or the problems between him and management, um, have to be put aside and they have to give him an opportunity, um, because they don't really have a lot of, they don't really have any cap space to do anything else. Uh, and I wonder, like I said, if, if that, Situate, you know, if they want Panarin to be someone who helps guide him and kind of, you know, keep him, not necessarily keep him in line, but just kind of keep him in the fold, I guess. Maybe Kravtsov, in my mind, could get a shot with Panarin and Trocek. And the reason I keep Lafreniere on the left side, on the third line, he certainly won't be happy about it. But Lafreniere, Heedle, and Sammy Blay was a very good line for a couple of weeks before Blay had his knee torn up. 
Um, and I think Gallant, you know, the way that he used the kid line to me says he didn't really, you know, they were a third line, but they really weren't a prototypical third line for him. He, he didn't trust them necessarily in a lot of defensive situations. He didn't give them a lot of extended shifts. He didn't give them, you know, didn't double shift them a whole lot, even as good as they were playing in, in short bursts. They, they kind of remained short bursts all the way through the playoffs. And I think he wants a guy like Sammy Blay to make it more of a third line. Um, so to me, I think Lafreniere maybe starts there. Um, and then your fourth line, uh, you know, I would guess it's Dryden Hunt and Barkley Goodrow and Ryan Carpenter. Um, you know, I, I'm leaving out some of the younger guys, the, the much younger guys, the next wave. Um, but I think when you're starting in camp and, and you have a situation where you're very close to the cap, um, you're probably not going to, you, you might keep Brennan Offman, say, for the nine-game look before before his he burns the first year of his contract. But um, I don't really see a situation where, um, barring a, a, an extremely strong camp, where you know someone like Offman or Will Cooley is head and shoulders above some of the other players on the on the wings, um, that either one of them really has a spot right now. But uh, obviously, that's what you have training camp for, and and you want competition and you want things to change. Um, but that's that's kind of my 12 for right now. And I don't really know, you know, the situation with Ryan Reeves, whether he's on the roster, whether you waive him to to give yourself a little bit more, uh, you know, a couple hundred thousand more of a cushion, um, whether it's worth it to do that for a guy who's kind of ingrained himself quite well into the fabric of the team after just one year. Um, but that's my top 12 as mm -hmm. I sit and think about it right now. And, you know, Gallant could say, yeah, that's ridiculous. I'm going with Lafreniere on the top line. You're an idiot. So we'll see. And so with Kravtsov, I feel like when everything happened last last offseason, I believe it was, I don't recall like many details emerging at that point. Are the do you have any any details that you're able to share about the situation? Is it just that you know he didn't appreciate being being called over and being underused? Is it is is there something salvageable in this relationship, or is it destined to to end at some point, regardless of? of how badly the Rangers may need him heading into to this season. I mean, there were some, there were some, definitely some direct incidents and they were, you know, between Kravtsov and Chris Jury before Jury was, was GM of the Rangers. It was more when he was GM in Hartford. And, um, you know, there was a shouting match that was very one-sided with Jury uh, in Hartford and that happened in front of a few other players um, I think there was another one uh, in the bubble when Kravtsov was with the team in, in Toronto for their brief playoff stay uh, as when Kravtsov was an extra. So it, it's uh, it's not a it wasn't a great situation. And I don't think Kravtsov, uh, you know, definitely a situation with a young player who thought he had earned more, deserved more um, and then was not necessarily treated uh, in a way that you'd want to be treated. Uh, you'd want your young players to be treated. Um, but I think that was very specific between Kravstov and Drury. And, you know, Drury's been talking to his agent. Um, obviously, they came to an understanding. A one-way contract is really the only way he was coming over. Uh, he needs waivers. So it, it sort of feels like maybe it's a forced marriage, but it's a marriage all the same. And um, like I said, there just isn't any room for for them to to miss on having a guy that cheap with that kind of skill level to at least give him a shot so whatever happened before has to be something that's uh that's let they gotta let bygones be bygones and figure out uh, a way forward because he could be an important part of their team absolutely um the final question that i really wanted to get into when it comes to you know projecting and prognostication up front is looking at that top power play. I think you alluded to to maybe a belief that Vincent Trocek would slide into the Ryan Strom spot, um, but you know this is a very lucrative possible position for a, a member of the team. I think a lot of folks are hoping that uh, very recent number one overall pick Alexi Lafreniere would would get that spot. Um, who do you think joins Panarin, Kreider, Zabanajad, and Adam Fox on the power play? next year and and do you see anyone as a clear best fit or or would you be running through a few different possibilities i mean i think it's going to be trocek to start um you know he, he kind of fits the suit of the ryan strum he's going to wear the same number too i would imagine so uh you've got a righty shot uh as strom was in the in that bumper spot fits well with uh you know the right left 
distri- uh, distribution of the guys on the wings uh, with Fox too. Um, you know, I obviously have to see if it, if he fits well, but I think he's been a consistent power play player, not necessarily a top power play guy uh, in his previous stops. But uh, if it's not him, you know, then I think it's really a coin toss between Lafreniere and Philip Hedel. You know, when when Strom missed a couple of games in the playoffs, uh, it was Hedel mostly because of the run he was on that got a chance at that spot. Um, and really, you know, it, is it that crucial a spot too? You know, you've got Kreider occupying the space that he occupies, Zabanajad at one circle, Panarin at the other, Fox running the show from up top. You're really there to be, a, you know, to kind of be a, someone who funnels the puck to other people or to take advantage of the, the open space when everyone, you know, tries to pick up the the big shooters or, or pick up Kreider. Um so, you know, I, I don't know that it's necessarily going to be seen as a reward type spot uh, for anybody. You're probably going with the guy with the most experience uh, who's been brought in to be the number two center. Um, so I think he get you know, Trocek to me gets first crack. And then I think you got to see who's playing well. And, and uh, if it's Lafreniere that, that deserves that spot, you know, I'm sure I'm sure he, he will be playing well enough at that point to have earned it. And if it's Heedle, same thing. Um you know, I, I'd be curious to see if you had to get down beyond those three options. Uh, probably not a good situation uh, health-wise if you have to keep digging that far. Right. But uh, but to me, it's it's Trocek's spot to start, and then and then you see what happens. And so, I guess if I were well, as a Rangers fan, what what worries me in that situation is we have these guys who are very recent top top draft picks, players who have not yet been given large and large roles and and have yet to really uh succeed at a level that we've seen from other top draft picks recently is alexi lafreniere like you you mentioned that he he doesn't want to be on that third line is there any concern about lafreniere being unhappy with the opportunities he's getting in new york um i don't think so you know i think you look at the makeup of this team and, and, you know, I just talked to him last week and did a quick uh, Q and a that we put up on our site. Um, I think he understands, you know, the situation, how many talented players there are um, that if he wants to be a top six guy, he's got to be a more reliable player on the right side. It's, you know, it's not going to be Kreider. It's not going to be Panarin that moves. It's going to be him that moves. Um and if he, you know, if he's going to be a guy who's playing the left side and is playing 12, 13, 14 minutes a night, you still got to make the most of it. He's still only 20 years old. Um, you know, maybe it's not as as dramatic an entrance to the league as typical number one overall pick. But I, I think we're looking back at some of the ones that were that were around his year of being picked first overall. You've got Jack Hughes, who hasn't won anything as a devil, even though he's he's had some good highlight real moments. You've got Rasmus Dahlin, who's won even less in his years as a Sabre. You know, I, I think if you're Lafreniere and you're a guy who's playing a sport where everybody puts team over individual, um, you're probably happier where you are than some of those other guys that were picked first overall in the last five, six years. You know, it, it's kind of a, a similar situation you go back to with, with uh, you know, the Oilers and all the picks they had in a row that were number one overall, guys that should just never put it together on a, on teams, you know, after they tanked or they were, you know, kind of bottomed out and brought back up. Um, you know, I think for Lafreniere and, and he certainly, he certainly showed from kind of that first shift in the playoffs when he came off the bench and almost sent John Marino into orbit in the penguin <laughs> zone and at the garden uh, and missed the whole, missed a hit and made the boards rattle as loud as I've ever heard them. Um, you know, and then you see him wrestling around fighting Steven Stamkos after game five. This is a guy who understands the team concept for sure. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he's, he's, uh, someone that's incredibly interested in, in saying, I got to get mine before we get ours. Um, so, you know, if, if he gets a shot on, and you know, and I, and I think even if it starts with, with Kako on that top line on the right side, he's going to get a, some run there for sure. Mm-hmm. And if he can put together a similar kind of season, to say his last two to three months of last season, you know, if he's a 25, 25 goal, 50 point guy next season, that's the right kind of progression for the Rangers. And it's going to be, it's going to be coming from a guy who's probably getting no more than 15 or 16 minutes a night. It's just, you know, everybody, I think everybody in the league 
general managers, coaches, talent evaluators, player development guys, whoever would prefer to bring guys along slower. It's just the way it is. And it's not possible now because of the way the cap is. It's not possible because you need to sell tickets when you pick first overall. But I think this guy has come into a situation with the Rangers where they don't need him to sell tickets. They don't need to showcase him in any way. Uh, <laughs> they need him. They need him to be a guy who's part of the top nine and, and a contributing part of the top nine. And uh, I think towards the end of last season, you saw him doing it consistently, no matter what role he was in. And in the playoffs, you know, Heedle was Heedle was terrific. But I think the guy that took the biggest step among those among the, the kids on that line was Alexi Lafreniere, and that's the best sign of all. I agree with you completely. And I, I think that it's a, it's a really good point thinking through the uh, where you'd rather be playing right now than, uh, than New York city on a team that just made the, the Eastern conference finals with, uh, you know, four players under, you know, four teenagers on the, the uh, defense to exaggerate a little bit. Um, <laughs> I guess we'll take a quick break here. When we come back, I have a couple of questions for you about some defensemen, a couple of young players on this, this exciting Rangers team. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. Welcome back to Keeping Carlson. Uh, we are here with Arthur Staple of The Athletic. Arthur, uh, we are jumping into the defense, and there's a, there's no drama uh, when we talk about who will be on the Rangers' top power play unit in 2023. Adam Fox has been absolutely incredible in his three years with the Blue Shirts. Uh, last year, he posts 74 points in 79 games. Adds 23 points in 20 playoff games. Absolutely dynamite. I think my favorite moment of the uh, the playoff run might have been Adam Fox uh, Fox's play to keep the puck in on that long shift with the goal from the kid line. I don't even think he got an assist on it, which is just vintage Adam Fox, if we can say that uh, this early on in his career. Um, as someone who sees this player, this this special player, very regularly. What is it that impresses you most about Adam Fox's game? You know, I think this season to me, it was um, just, you know, the, the games were a lot more important than any games he's played in before. And he played the same way that he always has. And that's, that's a hard thing to do. You know, I think he was trying to be a little bit more physical, a little bit more defense minded, but like you said, 23 points, in 20 playoff games, that's, you know, those are Brian Leach type numbers. And, uh, you know, a lot of them came on the power play and a lot of them come just from his distributing. But like you said, he makes he makes a lot of plays that aren't always noticeable at the time. But if you go back and look, you say, wow, that, you know, that was something, whether it was weaving his way out of the zone to start a rush that gets finished three guys later and he doesn't get an assist or that particular play, you know, on that on that long shift where that, that Heedle finished. Um he uh, he's he's you know the, the smart player label gets thrown around a lot with guys like him, but but I think uh, I think it's apt because he knows that you know much like the situation we were talking about with Panarin, he knows the playoffs are a different beast, um, and if you want to play the same way that you play, that you're successful in the regular season, there's there have to be some other you know subtle elements to your game, whether it's being able to take a hit, being able to throw a hit that you might not normally throw, or take a hit that you might not normally absorb because you're making a high risk play to, to, to get rid of the puck. Um, you just didn't see a lot, any panic in his game. Um, and that I think was the best sign of all for what, you know, what he means to the team going forward and, and whether he can be a, a true number one defenseman, you know, there's, uh, like, a, as I said, you know, there's, there's a lot of guys on this defense that, uh, that started to shine pretty well for different reasons. You know, you saw what kind of warrior Ryan Lindgren is yet again, in a, in a much bigger spot fighting through a, a nasty high ankle sprain um, to play a lot more games than he, probably anybody had a right to in the playoffs. And like we were talking about with Keandre Miller, the incredible strides he took. Um, but Fox is still the guy that, you know, the straw that stirs the drink back there. And, and I think uh, even with other teams targeting him uh, and trying to get him off his game, he was able to do what he does. And that, uh, and that was such a huge boost to the Rangers. Absolutely. Um, the player right behind Fox, I guess, in terms of, uh, in terms of fantasy relevance and, and players, a uh, player who was owned, you know, in most uh, leagues this past season, Jacob Truba, 
um, had a real nice rebound season after a bit of a questionable start to his Rangers career, posting 39 points in 81 games. The interesting thing with Truba heading into next year, obviously he's still going to get a lot of minutes. He's still going to be featured quite heavily on this Rangers team moving forward. But there are several very promising young defensemen waiting in the wings for opportunities. And I wonder if we see Truba losing some of that, the offensive opportunities, you know, the second power play as an example, in favor of players like Keandre Miller, who had, you know, the offensive pedigree coming into the draft. Um, Braden Schneider, uh, Nils Lundqvist, who, you know, a year ago was... Um, was people were starting to get very hype on Nils Lundqvist, uh, despite the fact that Adam Fox was very clearly in his way, uh, preventing you know somebody else from putting up 40, 45 points as a rookie on this Rangers team on the defense. Uh, even Zach Jones at this point seems to be um, a, a when rather than an if in terms of getting minutes on this Rangers team. Um, you know, I guess I'll throw it out to you broadly. Like when I, when I mention these names, Miller, Schneider, Lundqvist, Jones, like how do you see them fitting into the Rangers in this, this coming season? You know, as I mentioned, and I'll stand by it, that Miller is, you know, to me, he's, he's the, he had the kind of season where you say that guy's your top pair left defenseman, no doubt. You know, the guy has been playing the most minutes as it happens. Uh, the Rangers already have someone to be Adam Fox's partner. So I, I can't imagine, like I said, this is not a coach who's looking for experimentation. So I think the Miller Truba partner partnership uh, extends into next season. But like you said, maybe there's more chances for Miller, whether it's, you know, uh, him and Truba at the points uh, on the second power play unit or just Miller, if they if they feel like he can handle it, um, you're going to see him get more penalty kill time because Patrick Nemeth is gone and they need a big left hand left shot body out there behind Ryan Lindgren. Um, and, you know, I, I think with Truba, it is interesting. You know, I think he had definitely some ups and downs uh, in the playoffs. He obviously you know, had, had a big impact, uh, quite literally impact wise with, with the Sidney Crosby hit with the Seth Jarvis hit and kind of key moments of those two series that, uh, made him public enemy number one in a couple of visiting cities that I'm sure will be, they'll be reminded of that, uh, when they go to Pittsburgh and when they go to Raleigh next season. Um, but I feel like he's such an important guy in the room it's a guy who was pretty close to being named captain before last season, before the ownership and front office decided not to do it. Um, but I think, uh, I think he, he still feel fills a really important role on that defense. And especially if they're not going to bring in a veteran guy in a tryout who might be the, the number seven defenseman rather than, rather than Libor Hayek or, or Zach Jones, um, you know, if, if Hayek is the seven and Jones is the six playing with Schneider, then you've got probably the youngest decor in the league. Uh, and Truba at 29 is going to be the, the grizzled old veteran. So, you know, <laughs> I think that that increases his value to that group uh, and to and to Gerard Gallant as a guy who, you know, needs to lead by example, needs to be talking to guys. Um, you know, Keandre Miller, I think, is is a, is a confident young man, but he's. He's not uh, an outspoken guy, and neither is Adam Fox. Ryan Lindgren is, is certainly a more of a, a quieter guy, uh, and Braden Schneider just seems to never be anywhere without a, a big smile on his face. <laughs> Maybe that'll <laughs> change in his second season, but uh, but I think you know Truba is kind of. He's the unquestioned leader of the defense group. And, uh, you know, maybe some of his minutes go down. Maybe that's more preservation, too, just to kind of keep him fresher for longer. Um, he's going to be doing a lot of penalty kill time, I think, uh, like I said, with with no Nemeth there. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think you could see a little bit of a decrease, but I don't, I don't think that unless we see Braden Schneider take a, a huge leap in his second year, and that second year cannot, can be a little bit tough for a defenseman. Um, Unless he does that, I, I don't really see how Truba's role gets diminished in any way. I think you'll just see that top four be uh, relied on the same way it was almost all year long. And and you hope that Schneider and whoever he's paired with on the third pair uh, can get up to speed. Because I think you saw in the playoffs, and, and you know most teams do this, especially when they have a top four as good as that top four, that they kind of cut down quite a bit mm -hmm. uh, on the third pair usage. And Schneider and Nemeth, or Schneider rather, and uh, and Braun were playing eleven or twelve minutes a night. Um, 
but I think you want to be able to have three pairs that you can rely on. So, uh, so it'll be interesting to see what they do kind of outside of the top four. But if I think, I think Gallant can see that, uh, his top four is, is, uh, when healthy, uh, can play a lot of minutes and, and be super effective. So I don't think there's a whole lot you need to change. It's kind of funny because like, this is a team that only two years ago had, what I would call like a, a shocking change um, if within like two or three games of the season started starting in terms of just like having a, a very successful power play one defenseman get usurped by Adam, you know, Tony D'Angelo losing his job to, to the, the more talented obviously, and, and the right decision being made. But it's, it's interesting to kind of hear the through line of, of our conversation here, which is that, you don't sound uh, to you don't you're definitely not sounding the alarm in terms of we may see something shocking heading into next year. It feels <laughs> like it feels like Gerard Gallant, you have a, a very strong sense that we're going to see most people just maintain the roles they had and they'll get chances to prove themselves. They'll get chances to, you know, if if they outplay where they are and prove it over time and or an injury occurs, like obviously things like that will come up. But just in general, it sounds like philosophically um, this abundance of riches that some people look at, like the the list I mentioned, Miller, Schneider, Lundqvist, or Jones, doesn't necessarily translate into uh, fantasy hockey players being very excited about having any one of these defensemen, that's for sure. Uh, no. no, I don't see a lot of surprises. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Um, no, it makes sense. I guess the 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 one player that I of that list that I am interested in is is Nils Lundqvist just coming in off the the hype last year and and posting just four points in the first twenty five games of his career gets sent down early in the season. Um, a lot of talks about trades, things like that. Uh, obviously, this is a position where the the Rangers have a surplus of of premium young talent. Do you see any of these guys maybe getting moved out? Um, you know, I sure did before. <laughs> I certainly thought that Nils Lundqvist would not be a Ranger right now. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm betting that I'm betting that he didn't either. Mm-hmm. Um, but here he is still, uh, you know, in the fold. And it, like I said, it doesn't really feel like there's a big path for him to do anything with this with this team. Um, you know, you've got Hayek who needs waivers, and they certainly went to great pains to avoid putting him on waivers last year. Uh, you've got Zach Jones, you've got Schneider, um, you've got Matthew Robertson is probably a little bit further down the totem pole. Um, but I think with Lundquist, you know, it's unless he's been working diligently to, to learn how to play as offside, uh, I don't see him cracking the, that top three on the right side with, with Fox and Truba and Schneider. It's, uh, you know, I think he got his shot at the beginning of the year. Um, they felt like they needed something else. I don't necessarily know it was really what he did, but more what Patrick Nemeth was not doing on that third pair um, that really facilitated the Schneider move. And and that kind of, you know, that knocked Lundqvist back. And now again, the, the waiver situation plays into it. He doesn't, he, he, he doesn't need waivers again this coming season. So if he ends up getting sent down, I, I do wonder if we're staring at another, uh, you know, not, sim- not exact similarities, but a, another Leah Anderson type situation where you've got a guy who got a little taste of the NHL and feels like he deserves a little bit more of a taste and hadn't done anything wrong, but just kind of a numbers game and gets shuffled out um, and may not want to participate any longer with this organization. So, you know, I feel like time to the time to trade him uh, for a decent return may have already passed and uh, we'll see what happens as we go towards camp, whether, um, you know, his agent is Claude Lemieux, who has a few other clients on the Rangers and is not a guy who's afraid to to speak up strongly for his clients. So um, uh, I, I wonder if this will come to a head in training camp. It wouldn't be a Rangers training camp without one young player wanting wanting out of the organization <laughs> or marching off somewhere else, maybe back to Europe. So uh, we'll see. But I, I, I don't know that he's you know, maybe on skill and, and ability, he's, he's certainly in the top seven, but I don't know practically uh, where he fits and whether he can even fit just because of the situation, waiver situation with Hayek and, and how they want to structure their D. So uh, something to keep an eye on, but, but I don't feel like it's going to have a happy ending between him and the Rangers. I hate to hear this. I would, I mean, I would be much happier if they just took the L on, on Libor Hayek. And, and anyway, uh, this is w- just one fan's opinion. Um, we'll, we'll jump to goaltending where, you know, the Rangers obviously 
Uh, speaking of no drama, Igor Shostyrkin coming into the year, uh, winning, coming off of a Vesna winning season, a 935 save percentage, leads the league in save percentage and goals against average, I believe. 36 wins. Uh, Igor, this is my favorite fantasy relevant stat here. Igor topped a 900 save percentage in 75% of games he played in. Incredible consistency for fantasy hockey players. And a phenomenal season for a player who's just 26 years of age. Um, what sets Igor Shostyorkin apart? And, and you know, you mentioned maybe having a, a higher level of play than Hank, uh, who, you know, many of us consider to be one of the best goaltenders of all time. Um, what sets Igor apart? What, what, what makes him so special? You know, I think when you, you ask, former goalies who like to talk about these things, whether it's Steve Aliquette or Marty Baron or people who just observe the game. Uh, it's his ability to, to kind of reset. You know, he doesn't, he's a, like a lot of good modern goalies where he doesn't, he doesn't move. He does, he's not a guy who makes the first move. He he's, plays big and stays big and, and does all that kind of stuff. But, you know, he faced some real barrages early in the season. And, uh, you know, he, he just has an ability to kind of get, not just get reset. He's not, you know, he's not Dominic Hasek where he's, you know, going to throw his jock strap up there to stop a puck as he's flailing around in the net. He always seems to be in control and, and it's why you don't see a lot of pucks leak through him. You know, he, uh, it was a remarkable stat. I think he gave up, I think, what was it? Three or four breakaway goals all year long. Um, they give up a few in the playoffs. And I think the playoffs, the, you know, kind of the early stretch against Pittsburgh was definitely a little bit alarming, but, uh, but obviously, you know, like you said, he's 26 and that's, and really his first playoff experience. And that can be a, a rattling experience for anybody, even a guy coming off a season that he had, but just his ability to, to kind of stay calm and stay square um, and stay big when the pucks are flying all around him. He's uh, he, he just, he's like, he's like, he is like Hasek uh, in a lot of ways, or, you know, like a, a Brodeur or, or a Roy. He just, he makes it look easy. And, you know, some, some of those guys maybe didn't always make it look easy. They looked like they were desperate at all times. He obviously can do that when he needs to, but the, the ability to, to make every save look like he knows he's going to save it. And it start that's the thing that starts to get into shooters heads. And, and I think you could see it maybe over time through uh, through those first two playoff rounds, even with the the success the Penguins were having against them as the series wore on, I don't know that they felt like maybe their own goaltending situation was obviously a big factor, but I don't know that they felt like they could beat him when they needed to. And uh, and certainly against Carolina, he was he was at the top of his game and, and had a couple of lights out games against Tampa and, and you know, the, giving up the late goals and whether you want to, fault him or you know it's hard to it's hard to fault him on any of those those winners that were late against uh against the lightning in the in those last three games um but that's another situation that i'm sure he's going to carry with him for for quite a while and and uh and try to you know try to fix it as, as best he can i don't know that we're going to see the same sort of numbers because those are numbers that only Hashek has ever put up in a regular season with the 935 save percentage but even a guy who's a 925 or a 930, if the Rangers are a better team overall defensively and, and a team that can score the way that they can score, they're still still going to be you know a top of the top of the table team, a top four team in the in the East, top two team in the Metro. Um, and I think the Rangers would take maybe a, a 925 regular season if they could get the 945 playoff consistency that you maybe need uh, mm. for a team like the Rangers to go all the way. And so uh, the one change on on goal for this team, they bring in uh, Yaro Halak to replace Alexander Georgiev in free agency. Um, do you see the Rangers and Gallant sort of continuing that split of roughly 50-plus games for Igor and around 30 for Halak? Or do you see them at, at some point wanting to to try and you know do follow the trend of the league, which is to, to sort of... I mean, Halak is almost the 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 picture perfect example of a guy who is brought in to to be a true one B, like he was in Boston uh, behind Tuukka Rask, where they really were just trading off games for years. And and I think there are obviously differences there, like Rask being much older and and having the injury history that that Shusterkin does not have. But yeah, just wondering if uh if if you see things there staying the same heading into next year as well. Um. 
you know, I think, I think it's going to be, there's a, the differences. I mean, there was always last year, it was always clear that Shesterkin was the number one and Georgiev was number two. The problem is that Georgiev wasn't happy with it. I think the situation now is everyone will understand what their role is. No one will be unhappy. Yara Halak has been a number two goalie for the last couple of years. Uh, had, you know, had a good run as Tuka Rask's backup in Boston. And uh, certainly at his age, he he's embracing, you know, the, the role of being the backup, being the, the, the veteran guy, one of the older goalies in the league. I don't know that you want to put him in more than say 27, 28 games in a regular season. Um, you know, he's, he's a, he's a good guy, you know, he's a good shape. He kind of was a, a late bloomer as an NHL goalie. So I think, I don't think he quite has the wear and tear on him that, that some other 37 year olds might. Um, but, uh, but I think he's, he's kind of one, you know, there were some other guys that were out there, Thomas Grice, Martin Jones, but I think the Rangers went with Halak because they know that they needed a guy who's, who's been good, uh, you know, in, in stretches when he needed to be the starter. And I think we all understand, like you said, Shesterkin is, you know, you'd hope that his, his core muscle injuries that cost him two or three or four weeks are a thing of the past, but you can also say, if it happens in November or December or January, you've got a guy who can play seven or eight in a row and, and really hold the fort quite well. And, uh, you know, I think that's essentially what they were going for. They didn't want any more drama with the situation with a guy who felt like he deserved to play more. And um, after the last couple of years with Georgiev, I think they were happy to to be able to have someone that they knew would be content being back up to one of the best goalies in the league and, and play when he needed to play and and can play at a high level if, uh, if he's called upon for, for, you know, a handful of starts in a row. All that and very cheap. <laughs> yes. Maybe the most yes, important factor for him. Exactly. Yeah. Um, excellent. Uh, those were all of the roster based questions I had. You've kind of mentioned Othman earlier and Will Cooley. Um, you, you've been at the Rangers development camp very recently. What Ranger prospects do fantasy players need to know about and and what sort of what realistic timeline do you see for them making an impact on this team? You know, I think those are the main two guys. You know, they they seem to be the most NHL ready. I know Bobby Trevino had a had a nice week at development camp. He certainly should. He's uh, was a few years older than most of the guys there and uh, had a little bit more ex- pro experience than some of the guys who haven't had any um, it was, I think it was 11 or 12 games in Hartford at the end of last season. Um, but I think Offman and Cooley are really the the main guys. And, and, you know, Cooley, I think is the guy that, um, he's obviously going to be in Hartford as his amateur days are over. Um, and he's a guy who I think has the, has the, his game can translate the best to being called up and being a fourth liner. He doesn't have to be a guy who plays top nine or top six. Um, so if there's injury that needs, you know, needs some shuffling around, Goodrow moves up the lineup, I think, uh, and they need somebody to come up. I think he's probably your guy, depending on what he does to start the season in Hartford. Um, certainly coming off an amazing year for him in, in junior, um, and, uh, you know, captaining a team that, uh, that almost meant, made it to the Memorial cup. And, uh, you know, I, I think he showed his scoring ability and really just, uh, hearing about his his season from his coach Mark Savard the longtime former NHLer who who likened his game a lot to his old teammate Milan Lucic which is certainly a high compliment but uh but Cooley has the size and he has the, he has the kind of the nastiness in his game when he needs to be and he has the scoring touch so um I'm interested to see uh, obviously he got it you know during the, the COVID shortened AHL season a couple of years ago, he was there the entire year and and put up a couple of points and I think probably learned a few things about pro hockey and uh, that'll serve him well going into this season. And, and uh, you know, I think coming out of camp, he probably doesn't have much of a shot to stick uh, just because he does have options to go down. So uh, I imagine that's where he'll start. And Othman is really, you know, he's an interesting kid. He, he's uh, he reminds me a little bit of Ryan Strome uh, as a, as a teenager, a guy who's, who, clearly seems like a, a student of the game, watches a lot of hockey, uh, has a very positive outlook, seems like a guy who's, who's popular with his teammates um, and he can score. And he's, uh, you know, he, he seems to have a nose for the net and, and uh, a real tenacity that that maybe wasn't there um, in his game before last season when he, when he had a 50 goal season in, uh, for Flint in the, in the Ontario league. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see uh, how he handles himself at camp. Uh, 
you know, whether there's a real possibility that he could break through and, and maybe play a game or two before he has to go back to junior. But it, it does feel like the Rangers are going to be patient. Uh, they can afford to be because they have some really good top nine forwards that, uh, that are further along in their careers. Um, so I don't know that that's the ideal situation for him after accomplishing what he did in junior this past year. But, but I think it's the ideal situation for the Rangers where you've got a guy with his skill level, um, another really talented winger who, uh, who you can bring along slowly because you already have a, a slew of them. So, uh, you know, <clears throat> camp can change some things, uh, and I'll certainly get a lot of opportunity. I would imagine in the preseason to show what he can do, but, um, but I imagine if he ends up going back, uh, probably just fuel him to to come back even more motivated uh, in camp in 2023. Arthur, thank you so much for joining us. You've answered all of my questions and uh, you know what? I really appreciate uh, just that you took the time to, uh, to jump on the show. Um, where can people follow and uh, follow you and find your work? Uh, I'm at the athletic, our, our site that's uh going on six years now uh, as a as a pretty popular destination for hockey fans and uh, it's been fun to be a part of it for that long and I'm on Twitter at state athletic uh, mostly tweeting about the Rangers uh, sometimes taking jabs at my old Islander fan friends who are wondering what the hell that team is up to but uh, not anybody's concerned <laughs> that cares about the Rangers they are very much done for the off season uh, and pretty much so am I but uh, there'll be some fun stuff to do once we get into September. So at Stape Athletic and uh, on our site, theathletic.com. Wonderful. Arthur, uh, really look forward to uh, this coming Rangers season and following your work. And uh, hopefully we can chat again in the, in the near future. You got it, Ben. Thanks a lot. <laughs>